We're um, have been uh, teaching a series for the last number of weeks here on Sunday mornings on uh, manifestations of the Spirit. We've entitled it "The Lightnings of God," and I'll remind you of a couple of a uh, couple of scriptures that we've used kind of as uh, beginning points or text scriptures. Zechariah chapter ten and verse one is where we get the title. It says, "Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain." There is a time for the latter rain. Well, what is the time for the latter rain? The Bible says that's in the last days. So it says, ask ye of the Lord rain. Talking about a moving of the Holy Ghost. Rain is always used as a type of the Holy Ghost. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the, ti- in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. Zechariah 10.1 from the King James says bright clouds. The only other time that word is used in the, uh, in the uh, English translation is translated lightnings. The margin of my Bible says or lightnings. I think this is one of those words that the translators looked at and said, what do we do with this? Because what does bright clouds mean? What would lightnings mean? What would the lightnings of God mean? Well, there's only one uh, or two possibilities. I consider them one and the same, to be honest with you. Uh, bright clouds is a, is a uh, type or a symbol of that which God manifested himself in the Old Testament, the glory cloud of God, the presence of God, the shining cloud. Well, that's the only thing bright clouds could represent. Lightnings, on the other hand, always represents power. So ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings, meaning a manifestation of his presence and a demonstration of his power. Now, either one of those is okay with me because, as I said, I consider them to be one and the same. You can't have the power of God without the presence of God, and you can't have the presence of God without his power. So whichever way you want to go with that, that's okay with me. It doesn't matter. I'm fine either way. Then he said... He will make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain, outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Now, outpourings of the Holy Ghost must be something different than the bright clouds and the lightnings because he identifies them separately. So he says he'll make a manifestation of his presence, he'll make a demonstration of his power, and he'll give you outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not exactly sure what all that is, but I'm sure looking forward to finding out. It goes forward and says, and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Now, here's the purpose for the manifested, manifested presence of God, for the demonstration of God's power, and for the outpourings of the Holy Ghost, to produce people coming into the kingdom of God. That's what the grass in the field is as far as God's concerned. The only thing God's farming is people. He's not growing wheat or corn or anything like that. He's farming people. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus as being a husbandman, a farmer, the landowner, the one that's responsible for growing crops. Now, with that in mind, James 5, 7, we've looked at that a few times as well. James 5, 7 is a New Testament example or a reference to the same exact thing. It says, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Now, the context that James is talking about, whatever he says next, is that Jesus is coming again. Well, we know he's coming for the church to receive us unto himself. We know he's talking about the rapture then, don't we? Even though the word rapture is not in the New Testament, everybody understands Jesus coming again from the word rapture, the catching away. Jesus is coming to catch us away and, ca- and take us to heaven with him. So it says, Behold the husbandman waiteth. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, the farmer. Jesus is the farmer. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Now, why has he not come yet? Because he's waiting for a harvest. And the only thing, as I said, that God or Jesus is farming is people. He's waiting for a harvest of people. 
He wants to maximize heaven. He wants to get the most people possible into the kingdom of heaven before he comes. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and how long is he going to wait? And has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Now, any way you want to, whatever your end time doctrine is, and I don't really care. I mean, it, it, we've got some uh, CDs back there if you want to believe right about the end times. But, you know, that's up to you. <laughs> but whatever somebody's end time doctrine is, the Bible is really very clear. I mean, you can't misunderstand to the, uh, the statement that James is making that ties into the Old Testament scriptures as well that Jesus is waiting for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost to bring in the precious fruit of the earth before He comes. Now, what is that outpouring? Well, the outpouring in James in uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter said that was the early rain. So what's the outpouring going to be in the latter rain? I wonder if it's what Zechariah was talking about. I wonder if it's a manifestation of God's presence and a demonstration of His power along with other outpourings or showers of rain. Whatever those could be. And those could be any number of things. Those could be outpourings of healings in in certain cases, in certain situations. They could be outpourings of the Holy Spirit in getting people filled with the Spirit of God on certain occasions. They could be outpourings of the Holy Spirit to bring people into salvation in specific events, in specific times. There's all kinds of ways the Holy Ghost could could pour Himself out or manifest Himself could also mean manifestations of the Spirit, as identified in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I want to read another scripture to you from Hosea chapter 6. I don't think we've looked at that this time uh, during this series. We've looked at it uh, related to these scriptures at other times. But I'm going to read something to you from Hosea chapter 6 in verse 3. Hosea is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, talking about uh, the time when Jesus would come to the earth and then even the end times after that. He said this, he said, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. He didn't say then the world will see. He said, here's what we'll know if we follow on to know the Lord. Jesus made a statement in, uh, in his discourse to the disciples uh, at the Last Supper. One of the disciples said, Lord, how are you going to manifest yourself to us? How is it right for you to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then I'll manifest myself to you. If you in other words, if you want to see God, you're going to have to be a doer of the word. God didn't promise that he'd show signs in the heavens for everybody to know, believe and know. But if you want to see God manifest in your life, you're going to have to put the word to work. Now, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then what that means is God manifested himself to you in salvation because you acted on what the Bible said to do. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, that means you see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you acted on Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 and what the Bible says to do to receive. If you've ever been healed, it's because you acted on what the Bible says about healing and he manifested healing in your body. It always works the same way. There's only one thing that will cause you to see and know God, and that's acting on the Word. That's why we emphasize the Word to such a great degree. Because the Word, the putting of the Word to practice in your life is the only thing that can change your life for good. It's the only thing. I don't care how big a church you go to. If they don't give you an opportunity to hear and know the Word so you can act on it, you'll never know God. 
I don't care how many programs they've got. I don't care how famous the pastor is. None of that stuff matters. The Word of God acted on is the only thing that can change a person's life for good. In other words, it's the only thing that can make a positive and lasting change in someone's life. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I went to a big church and I got saved. That's great. That means they preached the Word in that regard and you acted on it and you got results. But then what? Doesn't your Bible talk about growing in God? Folks, if salvation was the end of the road for us, then Jesus did us a great disservice by not taking us to heaven immediately when we get saved. No, that's just the beginning. From there, we are to grow and find out what belongs to us. What does salvation or redemption mean? We've got to say, keep growing in the Word. The Word's the key. Well, Hosea seems to know that. The Holy Ghost seems to be prompting him to say the very same thing. He said, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. Isn't that poetic? But don't let the poetry cause you to see, uh, miss what he's saying. What is he saying? He's saying as sure as the sun comes up, God's prepared his way. As sure as the sun comes up in the morning, God has prepared Jesus coming. In other words, he's saying it's guaranteed. If you can count on tomorrow coming along, you can count on Jesus coming to the earth. His going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain. How's he going to come? He's going to come unto us as the rain. As the latter and the former rain under the earth. So what's the Bible telling us? The Bible is telling us not only is Jesus coming, but he's coming back in the latter rain. He came to the earth through the Virgin Mary. God prepared His way. And even though that seemed impossible, and even though men couldn't figure it out, how can a baby be born of a virgin? Mary had a hard time with that herself when the angel was talking to her. How's this going to work? It was more sure than the sun coming up in the morning. In the same way, it is more sure that Jesus is coming back than that the sun will rise in the morning. Now, how's he going to come? He's going to come as the latter rain. Now, why would the Bible keep making the references, keep making repeated references to Jesus coming back connected with the early and the latter rain? Unless God's trying to get something across to us. We know what the early and the latter rain is. It's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Peter was real clear about that on the day of Pentecost. So what are we supposed to know about this? It says to me, that there's going to be a great move of God before Jesus comes back. Well, folks, when I look at the world and try to figure out how much longer we can last, time's getting short. Our country is on an unsustainable path. Now, I know a lot of people don't admit that, and, you know, that's fine. You know, let the ignorant be ignorant still. But the reality is things can't keep going the way they're going for much longer. I don't know how long much is. But it can't go on indefinitely. Some people have the idea that no matter what we do, it's always going to be the same. Not so. I could give you some statistics that would scare you and you'd miss everything else I said this morning. Just about the food supply on the earth. 
Yet the Bible talks about the end times. There being famines in diverse places, in diverse lands. We can't keep going the way we're going. Time is short. Time is running out. We need to have our eyes open and realize where we are on God's timeline. Now, I'd be glad to tell you, I wish I could tell you that Jesus is coming back on such and such a time, you know, such and such a date, such and such a time. But nobody's going to ever have that information. God hadn't given me that, never will. But when you look at the season that we're in, you have to figure out, you know, things are winding down here. There's never been a time, and there's, there have been some things that have happened just in the last year. There's never been a time in the history of mankind where everything was set, where the only thing left, the only Bible prophecy or event yet to take place is the trump from heaven. The trump meaning the voice. Most people think that's a trumpet call. It's not. It's a voice from heaven saying, come up here. That's the only thing left. There is no, there is no Bible prophecy left to yet be fulfilled other than the ones that we're talking about, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's it. So I think at the very least we could say the return of Jesus is imminent. In other words, he could come at any time. At any time. Well, what are we supposed to do till he gets here? The Bible says be patient, but it also says to occupy. Jesus said occupy till I come. So there's a work left to do. This kind of inspires me. To realize that the time is short, so we went better to get busy. Amen. Well, turn with me over to, to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look again at some of these scriptures regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit and talk about that a little bit more. Because this is part of the latter rain. Jesus told his disciples after they were born again, but before they were filled with the Spirit, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They were already saved. They were saved in John chapter 20 where Jesus appeared to them in, uh, behind closed doors and breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. When I, Either Jesus lied to them or they got something. There's no middle ground there. When Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost, if they didn't get something, then Jesus deceived them. Well, what happened? Well, we see a change in their lives. We see them openly from that point forward in the temple. There was a boldness in them. They were filled with joy. Those are all characteristics of being born again. Something changed. Something changed them after seeing Jesus and him breathing on them and saying, receive you the Holy Ghost. So there is a work of the Holy Ghost in, in salvation, isn't it? We're born of the Spirit. When we're saved, when we're born again, when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, that's even called in the Bible conversion. It's called receiving Christ. It's called a number of different things, but it's talking about the salvation experience. But after they were saved, then Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit or promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me under the whole earth. Well, what does that power look like? Paul tells the church, writes to the church some 20 or 30 years later, what that power looks like. He says, beginning in chapter 12, verse 7, he says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice these things are not given for you to profit for yourself. These things are given for us to profit other people, to bring profit to other people. In other words, to minister to others. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Maybe it would serve us well to change this and say, but the lightnings of God are given to every man to profit with all. Because that's what he's talking about. 
He's talking about the way the Holy Ghost manifests himself. He's talking about the way the presence of God will appear. He's talking about the way the Holy Ghost will demonstrate his power, demonstrate God's power. That's what this list of nine things is. It would be foolish for us to think that the Holy Ghost is going to do something outside of what this list of nine reveals to us. These are the lightnings of God. This is the bright clouds, meaning the glory of God and how he operates in the last days in the church age. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all for the one, not to everyone, but for the one. In other words, God picks and chooses to use different people in different ways. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith or special faith by the same Spirit, because everybody's got saving faith, everybody in the church has got saving faith, and everybody can have redeeming faith, meaning faith to receive any of the things that Jesus purchased for us. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, according to Romans ten seventeen. Here it's talking about a special manifestation of the Holy Ghost. A special operation of the of faith whereby God honors a man's words as his own. To another faith or special faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healings. Gifts and healings are in the plural in every case where it's used in the New Testament. It's not always translated that way. But gifts and healings are both in the plural and the original. To another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse or different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh. That one and self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Notice it says God divides to every man. Now, you can't pick and choose which one you want, but you can't expect God to use you. Dividing to every man severally or specifically as he wills. Now, how do we make these manifestations work? How do we make these lightnings to work? Well, Paul obviously has some uh, has some work to do with the Corinthian church because the situation that exists in Corinth, this church is a pretty much a mess. Because when people are coming together for church services, everybody's speaking out in tongues at the same time and people that are unsaved or don't know what's going on are coming into the midst and they're saying, this is a crazy bunch of people. And as a result, the church is not growing. The church is not doing the work that it's supposed to do. Yet there are manifestations of the spirit coming and going. So Paul tries to bring order to it. And so what he does is he explains the difference in chapter 14. He explains the difference between tongues, speaking in tongues individually in your individual private time in your prayer life and the ministry of tongues, which is intended this uh, on this list, diverse kinds of tongues is intended to benefit everybody and not just the individual. So he tells the difference between tongues and prophecy and what the purpose of them are. And what does he say? Well, in chapter 14, in verse 2, he says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. He speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So speaking in tongues is not intended to be toward men, but unto God. He's talking about in your private prayer life. Because he says, howbeit in the Spirit. Notice speaking in tongues is speaking in the Spirit. Howbeit in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. Divine secrets. Now, folks, remember what Jesus said. He said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses. What's the key to that power? Well, Acts 2, 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the key to that power or the evidence, the initial sign, the initial evidence of that power was speaking in tongues. Tongues is always the entryway to the power. But Paul explains how it's supposed to work. Because not everybody that speaks in tongues knows how it's supposed to work. Obviously, the church at Corinth is an example. We don't have to use modern-day examples. We can use them. But there are a lot of modern-day examples we could use. So what does he say? He says, when you speak in tongues in your own private devotions, you're talking to God. Well, how is you talking to God going to help the church? If I spent the rest of this morning service, however long we go, speaking in other tongues, I'm going to get charged up. Verse 4 says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edified means to build up. It's similar to the words that's used or an, uh, an example, an illustration for building yourself up is like recharging a battery. If the car, if your battery in your car is dead, you take it somewhere and you hook it up to the cables and you recharge it. It doesn't recharge instantly. It has to stay on there for a while. Well, as you speak in tongues for a while, it recharges or builds you up spiritually. It charges your spiritual battery, if you'll allow me to use that term. In other words, it brings power to you. So if we did that for the next 45 minutes, or if I did that for the next 45 minutes, I'd be full ready to go by the end of that time. But how's that going to help you? I haven't been talking to you. I haven't said one thing in other tongues that's going to make a difference to you. So how's that going to help you? That's the point Paul's making. When you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. But here's the here's the reverse or the flip side of that. He that prophesieth edifies the church. So what's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying in order for tongues and interpretation to be a benefit to everybody, to profit everybody, there has to be um, an inspiration or a, uh, an instigation by the Holy Ghost to speak something in tongues that can be interpreted so that everybody knows what's going on. Now think about what that means. That means the ministry of tongues and interpretation in a public sense is not speaking to God, but God speaking back through men to, to the people. And that's the big difference in tongues individually and as a ministry. Individually, I'm talking to God. If I minister in tongues, I'm speaking to you as long as there's an interpretation. And so he goes forward, he goes further with that. He says, let them speak two or three. By course, two are at the most three. But if there be no interpreter, let them stay quiet. The interpretation is that which is necessary for everybody to be blessed and edified and built up. So he's trying to bring order to the things that are taking place. Isn't he? But let me ask you a question. Why didn't he have to bring order to the Ephesian church? Why didn't he have to bring order to the Galatian church? How about Colossians? To give them any instruction about the Spirit of God or ministering in the Spirit? Not a word. How come? Because there's not a whole lot going on over there. He does say one thing to the Thessalonian church because they're abusing prophecy. They're not abusing tongues, but they're abusing prophecy to such a degree that people get tired. They don't even want to hear somebody say, thus saith the Lord. Because anybody can say anything and say, God told me to say this. Well, what's the proof? Paul tells them. He said, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Don't despise prophecy, but prove it out. And hold on to it if it's good and throw the rest of it away. 
But don't despise prophecy. Don't let it make you think that God doesn't really work that way or use people in that manner. So he brings a little bit of correction to the Thessalonian church and a lot of correction to the Corinthian church. Why does he have to spend so much time with the Corinthian church trying to fix things? Because they've got everything going on in their midst. Now, it would fit our doctrine really well if we could prove to you that the Corinthian church was the most holy group that Paul had. But that's a problem. Because even though the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7 that they come behind in no good gift, meaning they've got them all in operation, we see in chapter 5 that they've got a little fornicator in their midst that's taken his father's wife and living with her openly as husband and wife. And Paul gets upset with the church that they haven't done anything about it. So not only have we got open fornication, open immorality taking place in such degree that Paul says even the Gentiles, the unsaved people, don't even talk about this kind of stuff. Even though that's going on openly, the church sits back and says, well, it's okay, I guess. I don't know what excuse they're making of it. I've seen different commentators uh, uh, surmise or, or suggest that this was a, a father that took a wife later in his life, and so maybe the, the son and the wife are about the same age, and so everybody looks at it and says, oh, don't they make a cute couple? They fit together a whole lot better than the young girl and the old guy. But we don't know that. There's no way for us to know anything other than the father is the son is taking his father's wife and living with her openly in sin. And the church is sitting back saying, oh, well, you know, people will be people, these young folks. So Paul gets really upset about that. So they're not living right in that regard, are they? Not only that, but you go to chapter 10 and you find out that when the Lord's Supper comes around, these people are getting drunk rather than making sure everybody's got enough. So we could surmise and conclude from the information that we have from the book of Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians, that the church at Corinth is is a group that's filled with sexual immorality, at least... They turned a blind eye to sexual immorality and they're drunkards and they've got every gift of the Holy Ghost in a manifestation. Well, now we know how to make it work, don't we? No, that's not true either, because if that were the case, if we were just doing the wrong things, then most of the churches in America would be filled with the spirit. My point is this. It's not a matter of living right that makes it work. Now, living right will make it more credible when it works through you. No doubt about that. If the town drunk steps up in church and speaks in tongues or interprets or um, speaks a word of prophecy or operates in the gifts of the Spirit, we may look at that and say that had to be God. But if it happens over and over and over again, we're all going to start looking at each other and scratching our heads and saying, why is God using him? When he's disobeying the word in other regards, other areas. So I'm a firm believer that living right makes the gifts of the spirit of the manifestation of the Holy Ghost more credible when they do operate. It's not the key. I can show you guys in the healing revival that were struggling with issues in their flesh and God would use them. They'd get thrown in jail for drunkenness at night. After the service and by the next day they'd be bailed out and the next evening they'd have another miracle service and God would use them in signs and wonders. And boy, that threw people for a loop. 
Because there's only so long that you can deny that stuff's going on. There's only so long you say, oh, that's just a rumor. It didn't really happen. When it happens over and over and over again, pretty soon people are going to say, look, there's a police record here. There's a picture of you being taken to jail. There's only so much of that kind of stuff you can explain away. And so it threw people for loops. Because they'd see the power of God operate and then hear the story about what happened after the service with the sinful behavior. So it's sure not living right that makes it happen. Look at Samson. We've got a Bible example. Look at Samson. Samson was doing everything wrong in the world. He was a drunkard. He was a whoremonger. And then he'd tear the gates of the city off and carry them off and take them home. See, we think that God's going to get people back for doing the wrong stuff. We think if somebody does the wrong thing like that, God will leave them on their own. We think that the, the power of God shouldn't have worked on Samson because of the wrong stuff that he was doing. But the Bible says the gift and the callings of God are without repentance, folks. That means it's up to the individual to live up to what God's given him. Did you hear that? That means it's up to the individual to live up to what God has given him. Now, that's true in every area. That's true where redemption is concerned. It's true where salvation is concerned. It's true whatever title you want to put on it. It's true in every area. It's up to us to live up to what God has given us. And what he's given us, everything he's given us is through Jesus. So it's up to you to live up to it. Not everybody wants that responsibility. Not everybody's willing to do that. That's why right living becomes such a hot-button issue in the church. That's why the subject of grace becomes a real controversy because it's so easy to take advantage of. Nothing new. Paul said the same thing to the Galatians. He said, since Jesus has done the work, since the grace of God has made everything available to me, what do I do? Do I live wrong? Do I sin so that the grace of God can abound even more toward me? Paul said, not for him. He said, God forbid. Not everybody has the same attitude. Right living is the hardest thing to preach in a church as a pastor for, for me. Because not everybody accepts my standard of right living as the standard for them. And you, you, there's, there's all kinds of opportunities for people to say, well, I'm free in Christ. Well, that's certainly true. The Bible says you're free in Christ, but free in Christ to do what? Free in Christ to sin? Is that really why Jesus went to the cross? So that you and I could be free in him to sin? Anybody really think that was God's plan? Anybody really think that's what Jesus is hanging on the cross for? You know, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I know people are going to abuse this and live in sin and say I'm the, the liberty that they have to do the wrong things in life. And so that's why I'm going to go through with this. Maybe that's why he's sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So right living is hard to preach because everybody's got their own standard. And what's amazing to me is that the standard is different now than it was 20 years ago. Well, why? Has God changed in 20 years? Society certainly has. But does that make it right? Sure is quiet in this Presbyterian church. 
Some people are sitting here saying, oh, please, Lord, don't let him go any further. No, it's not up to me. It's not up to me to tell you how you ought to live. Paul took specific situations. There's two specific situations with the fornicator in chapter 5 and the people getting drunk in chapter 10. He took specific situations and he told them what to do instead. But other than that, he just set the same example before them that I'm trying to set before you. Saying live up to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Because what you do is between you and God. What I do is between me and God. And what I do affects the success and the effectiveness I'm going to have in the work that God's given me to do. Because if you know I'm doing the wrong thing, then it's going to make me uncredible to be able to tell you, here's what the Bible says for you and me. And see, some people want to, want to hide behind that, use that as a shield. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. I don't have to live that same standard. Well, I don't live that standard because I'm a pastor. I live that standard because of what I see in the Word. And I realize, folks, I'm well aware that I don't live nearly as loose a life as some people would want me to live. Because if I live a looser life, that justifies them. Uh, there's a uh, pastor that graduated from the same Bible school as me. Heard the same teaching as I heard. And he has built a church in his part of the country on cocktail parties. They he preaches Jesus. He preaches salvation. He finishes, preaches the finished work of Jesus. But he gets out there, and man, he'll drink his cocktails with all the, the mucky mucks and the high rollers, and man, he has a church full of them. Everybody talks about the preacher that'll drink with them. It's a huge church. Huge church. Gets a lot of people saved, a lot of people filled with the Holy Ghost. What about that, Pastor Mike? I have no clue. He's not my servant. Romans 14. Who art thou to judge another man's servant? Before his own master he stands or falls. He's not my servant. I can't, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to tell you I can't live like that. God's going to hold that against him. He says God told him to do it. I'm glad I don't have to judge that either. I can assure you God hadn't told me to do that. How do these things fit? He has the Holy Ghost working through him. I don't have answers for some of these things, folks. But I know this. I know the only church that Paul had to correct was the one that was moving in the Spirit of God. The church is dead. No reason to tell them to stop doing that. Now, when I say dead, I don't want you to get the wrong impression about the other churches. The church at Ephesus was known for teaching. It was known for doctrine. It was world famous for its doctrine. But you don't have any evidence of the, of the manifestation of the Spirit being the emphasis or the main point of the church like you do in Corinth. So what did Paul talk to the Ephesian church about? Doctrine. He talked to them about the things and the ways that God used them. Paul did not seem to be used, at least if we read his, if I understand what his writings were meant to convey. Paul does not indicate to us that the Holy Ghost used him a lot in tongues and interpretation. He said of his own private prayer life, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
yet in the church. I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding than 10,000 words with another tongue so that people would be blessed and edified so that I, by my voice, might teach others also. So Paul seems to be saying, if I'm reading this right, Paul seems to be saying that God uses me more to speak in languages that people can understand because that helps them grow in God. Wouldn't that be an an accurate interpretation in your opinion? Otherwise, he'd say, now, when I speak with tongues, there's always an interpretation. God always uses, uses me to interpret as well. But he doesn't say that. Well, well over 99% of the time that God gives me something to say, it's in a language that you can understand. If you count Southern as a language you can understand. <laughs> but other people, one of the, Brother Hagin says the person that was used more in the gifts of the Spirit than any other person he ever knew was a pastor by the name of J.R. Goodwin. Brother Goodwin would be preaching along and all of a sudden would burst out in other tongues. The interpretation would come and he'd pick right up like it never happened. Not that he would ignore it. It was just a normal part of his stuff. He'd be, he'd break in mid-sentence and speak in tongues and then give the interpretation of that tongues and then catch up on the sentence right where he left off and keep going. Wigglesworth was used a lot in that way too. Wigglesworth would be preaching and all of a sudden he'd just burst out in other tongues, interpret it and then go right on. Paul didn't seem to operate that way. I can show you people that weren't used like that, that I want to be like, and people that were used like that, that I want to be like them too. Turn with me over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Here's the point I want to make this morning. Here's the thing that I believe the Lord has given me this morning. Tell you what, hold your finger in chapter 3. We'll look at that next. But I want to look at uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians first. Getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, see then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I think that's good information and good advice for every generation, don't you? I think that's a lasting piece of advice by the Holy Spirit. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not understanding or be ye not unwise. In other words, he's saying, here's how to walk as a wise person. Here's how to redeem the time. Here's how to make the most of the time that we have left. Wherefore, in this manner otherwise, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So what's the key to wisdom? Understanding what the will of the Lord is. In every area. That's why in that list of nine manifestations of the Spirit over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the word of wisdom is the greatest of all the nine gifts. Because the word of wisdom is the supernatural revelation of the divine will, plan, and purpose of God. You can't get anything better than that. So he says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what is he saying? He seems to be indicating that the same attention that you guys give to, to, to drinking wine, give that attention to being filled with the Spirit. Now, if that's the case, drinking wine must have held a place of importance with their lives. 
Now we can, we can go to, to all kinds of historical cultural things and, and say, well, they drank wine because the water was impure and so wine was the drink of the day. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then he's saying as much as you need water for your bodies, then give the same attention to being filled with the Spirit. I, I don't know for sure that that's what he's saying or that was the, the situation he was addressing. You can make a historical case for that. But without further information, how, how would we know? He may be saying, as much as you guys like to get drunk, put your attention on the things of God. We know that this is not a perfect church because in chapter 4 he says, let the lying quit lying. Well, then there must be people lying there. He says, put away stealing. So there must be stealing. In other words, these are normal people just like you and me. They've got the same temptations and they're falling to some of the same temptations that everybody else does. That you do. Notice I didn't say me. No, we're all tempted to the same stuff, aren't we? You know, it's so funny. People think, oh, when God starts using you, nobody would ever, you know, think that, that the devil would come against you. I was at somebody's house one time having dinner. It's been years ago. But we were at their house and there was something laying around that was a value and it was a real small thing. And the devil spoke to me and said, why don't you steal that? And I thought, well, that's stupid. Why would I want to steal that? I love these people. And then the devil said, nobody respects you. You're the pastor. And I thought they wouldn't, would they? <laughs> Folks, everybody's tempted the same. So he says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He makes some kind of connection between drinking wine and filled with the Spirit. Now, whether you want to put that on water or, or drunkenness or whatever you want to do, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. He says, make being filled with the Spirit your priority. And that's the only point that I really want to hammer on. Make being filled with the Spirit your priority. Wait a minute. Acts 16 tells us that these people, or Acts 19 rather, tells us these people are already filled with the Holy Ghost. That's where Paul comes down to the upper coast of Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've never heard of the Holy Ghost. He said, under what then are you baptized? He thought they're saved and they weren't. They said, under John's baptism. And he says, okay, well, I get it then. You're living good lives. You're living lives that look like you're saved because John said, repent. He said, there's one coming after me. But he said, the one that John preached about has come. So he told him about Jesus, got him saved, and got him filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with tongues and magnified God. Why is he telling these people to be filled with the Spirit if they're already filled with the Spirit? Because, folks, the Bible says there are many infillings. There are many baptisms where the Holy Ghost are concerned. It's not a matter of getting filled with the Holy Ghost one time and that's it. It's a matter of staying full. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm talking about the Acts 2-4 experience, when the Holy Ghost fills you and with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, you are full. It is your responsibility to stay full. Because if you don't use it, it runs out. That's why we are to edify ourselves by speaking in other tongues or recharge ourselves spiritually because the more you speak in other tongues, the more spiritual strength comes. It's your job to keep your spiritual battery full. See why the illustration fits now? So he says, wherefore, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do we know? Speaking with tongues was the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. How do we know if we're full, if we're staying full? Speaking. 
Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking. Folks, I want you to understand something. The thing that made the Corinthian church so... The same thing that got them out of order was the thing that brought the manifestation of the Spirit to begin with. They were quick to speak. Now, this is true in your private life, and this is true where the church is concerned. The quicker you are to speak according to the instruction of God or the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the more power of God you're going to see in your life. Because speaking is the evidence. Speaking is the, is the New Testament sign. That wasn't the case in the Old Testament. That wasn't the case in the Old Testament. You look at some of the Old Testament prophets where God would use them in miracles. Well, no matter what they spoke, they just did it. New Testament is totally different. Personal opinion. Can I give you my personal opinion about this? Where the Bible says God made man in his image, in the likeness of him created he, them, male and female. I believe that the image of God, being made in the image of God, has less to do with how we look similar to God than anything else. I believe that being made in the image of God is the ability to communicate words from your heart. Because we're the only creation, we're the only part of creation that is able to communicate words from their spirits. Other things can make noises, but they're not spirit beings. A parrot can say Jesus is Lord, but he doesn't have a spirit, so it doesn't have any effect. He's not going to be in heaven. Do you see my point? Therefore, redemption, the restoration of mankind's position with God, is about being filled with the Spirit, speaking. What you say is everything. That's why we emphasize faith to such a degree. Because faith is exemplified by believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Jesus said, whatsoever you say is what you'll have. Say from your heart is what you'll have. It's con- it confirms what the Old Testament says. Numbers chapter 14. In the wilderness, God says, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. And he said, that's an unchanging law. Words are everything. So being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by the words that we speak, the supernatural words that we speak that are given to us by the Holy Ghost. Right? That's how we know that we're filled. Acts 2.4. And they, the 120, were all filled with the Spirit. How do we know? Because they began to speak. How do we know if we stay full? How do we know that we are full or are staying full? Speaking. What you say determines how full you stay of the Holy Ghost. What's the problem with the Corinthian church? The problem is not that they're not speaking. (coughs) Excuse me. The problem is that they're not using what they're saying to benefit everybody. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This must be the will of God, or else the Holy Ghost wouldn't be telling them about it. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice he doesn't say that you stay full by speaking in church. He said you stay full of the Holy Ghost by speaking to yourselves. Now I wonder if Paul knows anything about this. Well, he said, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather say five words with my own understanding. So the time that he's spending speaking in tongues more than all of them is not in public services, but in private time. Has to be. 
right? So it all comes down to the same thing, folks. The degree of power that you're going to have in your life by the Holy Ghost who's been given to you, who has filled you as you've acted on what the Bible says to receive, is totally dependent on what you say. How many of us tell ourselves that we have the power of the Holy Ghost within us? That's what Jesus said. He said you'd receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. John said it this way, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, but you have an unction from the Holy One. Or that word unction is the word anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. How many people confess that? The Bible says it's true. Well, I just don't feel like it, Pastor Mike. I don't feel like I have power. I know. Wouldn't it be great, he said, and you will feel power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Man, that would have been terrific. But he didn't. He didn't say you ever would feel it. You don't have one scripture in the Bible that says, and you will feel power. It's got a lot that says you'll have it. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, folks, I'm just going to use myself for an example here because I can make fun of me and not get in trouble. If I make fun of you, you'll get your feelings hurt. I can't sing a lick. I've heard myself sing. Don't try to make me feel better about it. Pastor Mike, it's not that bad. Please, just don't waste your time. I've heard myself. I'm self-conscious about singing. There's some, there's some things that the Lord really had to deal with me some time ago. Well, toward the end of last year, he gave me a song and told me to sing it in church. And I said, not a chance. <laughs> it was during a service. I'm preaching. The Lord said, sing that song. Oh, no. Not going to happen. The Lord told me three times, sing that song. No, sir, Lord, I love you, but I'm just not going to do that no. Finally, the Lord said to me after the third time, and I said no. He said, if I ever tell you to do something and you don't do it, don't expect me to hear you when you want me to move. (laughs) Really? This comes down to me singing in church? Seriously? So, wasn't very long after that. God will always put you to the test. Lord said, you ready to sing that song? Okay, I'll do it. And I did it. And the sky didn't fall and, you know, the earth didn't open up and swallow us all or anything like that that I might have thought would have happened. But it wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun experience. And after it was over, the Lord said, well, what about that now? And I said, hey, you owe me. (laughs) That's just kind of how we do with each other. But the best part of this verse 19 is the word yourselves. <laughs> now, here's the problem. I think the reason that Paul told this to the, to the Ephesian church rather than the Corinthian church is because the Ephesian church is all about doctrine. You know, it's, let me take a little side journey here for a moment. I, I, I can see what the clock says. I'm, I know I'll get you out in time. We'll beat the Baptists to the restaurant, I promise. <laughs> 
it seems that people in charismatic circles go one way or the other. They'll either go all the way over here to the Holy Ghost. And all they want is tongues, interpretation. All they want is the manifestation of the Spirit. Because all they ever has is tongues and interpretation. And it's usually on a very low level. And it's usually small churches. And the churches don't grow very much. And people are turned off by the, the way things happen. Because there's never anything to feed anybody. There's never any word to grow by. The Bible says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You don't grow from spiritual gifts. You grow from teaching the word. That's just the way it is. So you got some that go all the way over here to the manifestation of the Spirit, and they become the charismatics, the crazy-matics, and, and all this kind of stuff, where there's the, the Corinthian church type thing. Or you get people that will go all the way over on the other side, where us Word of Faith folks are concerned. And we're all about the Bible. Oh, we're sticklers for the Word. And so you wind up being somebody that's either argumentative because we're so in doctrine and, and, and so into our doctrine and that kind of stuff, or you get all the way over here where you don't know what in the world is going on because we're all about spiritual, spiritual gifts. But Paul was a man of the Word and the Spirit. The example Paul set for us is being a person of the Word and the Spirit. Now, he gave the information to the Ephesians that he couldn't give to the, to the Corinthians because they were all about, they were all the crazy-matic group. We're just speaking tongues, get drunk, and screw around. But he gave the information to the Ephesians. And he told them, speaking to yourselves, be full of the Spirit. Stay filled with the Spirit. This word, uh, be, being, be filled with the Spirit, is literally a play on words in the Greek. It means be being filled. In other words, a continuous filling. A continuous filling. How do you do that? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, if you combine the two churches, the Ephesian church and the Corinthian church, you'd have a dynamite church. Because what they would be doing, if they acted on what Paul told them to do, is we'd be speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, so it'd be a common thing, a common occurrence if God ever wanted to use us in a public setting. But what happens so often is we're, we're so taken back. We so want to be used by God and we're so taken back that we get in the middle of it and then we get into our head and out of our hearts and we flub up and just mess up the whole thing and lose what we had. I've seen that happen on every level. I've seen the, the, the most famous preachers in the world do that. Because all you have to do is shift out of your heart over into your head and all of a sudden it's gone. Well, if you're in mid-interpretation, that's kind of difficult. That's a little bit of embarrassment because now I've lost it. What am I supposed to do? How do I finish this last part? And you can see, you see so often people stumble and they'll trip over themselves and they'll try to get it out. And, and you, you just know, if you've got any experience in these things, you just know they lost the anointing for it. They got to thinking about something else. And they lost the anointing. Wigglesworth said at the end of his life, he said that there would be a move of God concerning the Holy Ghost. He was talking about the charismatic revival, which came about 20 years after he said this. He said after that, there'll be a, a revival of the word, the teaching of the word. That came in the late 70s and the 80s. He said, but after that, there'll be a revival that combines the moving of the spirit and the teaching of the word. And that'll be the one that brings Jesus back. So what did he say? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Folks, if you'll practice that on your own time, 
then if God ever does want to use you, you'll be ready. Now, here's my personal opinion about this, but I know it's right. I know there are times where God wants to use people, maybe in tongues, interpretation, maybe in prophecy, maybe in something else. But because we haven't learned the move of the Holy Ghost, we haven't learned the the ease with which the Holy Ghost can flow through us when we just relax because we don't apply it in our private times. Then we sense that he wants us to do something, but we're not ready. And so that's where people make mistakes. Some people will jump out there anyway and say, well, God wants to use me. Well, that's like the guy in the Old Testament that wanted to run but didn't have a message. He ran to the king, but he didn't have anything to say. He's coming from the battlefield, and he's running with all of his might, and he's a great runner, and he gets there first. And the king says, what's the news from the battlefield? He says, I don't know. I'm just running. Well, that didn't help anybody. But then the guy came later on who wasn't as fast a runner, but he had the message. That made the difference for the king. So I think we do the same things in in uh, uh, charismatic circles or in Pentecostal circles. Some people get in, they're aware that God wants to use me, so they just jump out there. Well, if you don't have something, you have to make something up when you get there. And so that's where you get this weirdo tongues and interpretation and prophecy stuff. Thus saith the Lord, booyah, whatever. People say all kinds of things. And people are left scratching their heads saying, God wouldn't say that. Seriously? Well, I couldn't help it. God wanted me to, wanted to use me. Well, why? If he didn't have anything to say, why do he want to use you? But you learn on your own. You learn at your own private times. This seems to be, a, to, to some degree at least, what's taking place in the Corinthian church. Now, as I said, Paul doesn't have to correct the Ephesians. His correction to them seems to be get full while you're on your own, while you're by yourselves, and then the Holy Ghost will manifest himself when you come together. The Corinthians was a different thing. It's like, oh, man, you guys need to tone it down a little bit. Save some of this stuff for your own private time so that when you come together, God can do something that blesses everybody. If you think about it, it's really the same instruction to both churches, isn't it? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in our name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You know, there's a thing about being used by the Holy Ghost. If you're not willing to submit to somebody else, don't expect God to use you. That's part of it, too. He mentions three things, three signs. The first one is speaking. The second one is giving thanks, a thankful life. The third one is being willing to yield to somebody else. Those are signs of staying full of the Holy Ghost. Now look over at Colossians. He said this almost the same thing to the Colossians. He used a little bit of terminology, different terminology. But he used the same instruction to the Colossians. He said it this way, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I love the word let. Allow it to happen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Um, you ever, I assume that you've heard the, the saying, you are what you eat. 
I went to, uh, um, I had some blood work done at a doctor. I found a, a, a great new doctor that's, uh, that I've been talking to about some stuff. And uh, I went to him, uh, it's been a little less than a month ago. And he, uh, he did some blood work, some, some live blood work, showed me some things with my blood. And so he said, well, I can tell you right now what's your, what's your problem. Most of the time you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, what's wrong with you, and you tell him. I went to this guy, and he put my blood under the microscope and showed me, put it on the screen, showed me. He said, well, let me tell you what your problems are. And it was amazing. It was fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm into the scientific stuff anyway. So it was amazing. He said, all right, well, here's this and here's this problem and here's that. And I can tell from your blood the crystals that are there. That's, the, that's supposed to be there. That's not supposed to be there and all this kind of stuff. And he said, uh, here's what you eat. Here's what I eat? You're looking at a screen telling me what I eat? And he said, well, what do you think it does? Everything you eat goes into your blood. He said, so your blood is a result of what you've been eating. I said, okay, well, so what's my problem? He said, your problem is your blood's dead. Well, that can't be good. I mean, I'm thinking of what the Bible says, the life's in the blood. <laughs> You're telling me my blood's dead. I don't like that. So he said, well, I said, what do we need to do? He said, well, basically what you need to do is you need to, uh, uh, he gave me a list of things and he said this, that, and the other. And I said, all right, well, what's the fix for that? And he said, there's only one fix for it and that's to eat right. Oh, my God, have we come to that? <laughs> so he started doing some things and putting me on some different stuff. And, and it's all organic stuff. It's all, it's all good food, real good food type stuff. And, uh, and, and I've had some meals that are just knock your socks off. This is the best thing I ever had in my life, natural stuff. But most of them are just good food that's good for you. And the whole purpose is to change the makeup of my blood. Well, there's some spiritual applications there, folks, because you are what you eat spiritually. Now, you can read the Bible all the rest of your life, but if you don't do it, you're not eating it. It's like chewing something up and spitting it out before you swallow. It's what you assimilate. It's what you take into yourself that benefits you both spiritually and physically. So notice he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's the only way that it's going to become a reality in your life. Here's the only way that you're going to become the word of God for real. Now, what that means is you can't feed on a bunch of other stuff and expect to be healthy. Spiritually, you can't feed on scandal and expect to be healthy spiritually. There are so many people that say, Pastor Mike, have you heard about the latest thing? No, and I don't care about the latest thing. I care about the sure thing. Well, Pastor Mike, have you heard about the new doctrine that so-and-so is teaching? No, I don't care about new doctrine. I care about sound doctrine. But you can feed on gossip. You can feed on scandal. You can feed on controversy. You can feed on the latest conspiracy. You can feed on everything else in the world, and you'll be just as unspiritual unspiritual, uh, you will be just as unhealthy spiritually as I was physically. Now, I looked okay. Looked okay. He looked at me and said, well, you look to be healthy. Oh, yeah. He asked me my age. I told him, he said, you're in great shape for your age. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> and he said, but your blood's dead. 
Okay, great. I think we got a lot of, got a lot of Christians the same way. They look healthy. But because they're feeding on the wrong things, because they're not assimilating what they're reading or taking in, or not really taking it in, really, I guess is what it comes down to. They're not spiritually healthy. So what did he say? He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How are you going to be able to teach somebody else, teach and admonish somebody else in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you're not singing them to yourself in your own private time? Now, this may be something that God did use Paul in. Or maybe it's something he just recognizes this is a way that God wants to use this church in Colossae because he never told this to anybody else. He never told anybody else to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. He told the, the Ephesian church to do it on their own time. So maybe this is something the Holy Ghost has revealed to Paul. This is the way I want to use this church. This will be some unique faction or a characteristic about this church. So impress upon them the need for them to do this. I don't know. It's a possibility, huh? But there's one thing for sure. You'll never be able to give something to somebody else that you don't have. The Bible rule is Acts chapter 3, such as I have, give I thee. You can't teach somebody else something in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unless you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to yourself. You're not going to be able to give healing power to somebody else unless you have healing power in and of yourself. You can only give somebody what you've got, which is why so many churches are powerless. They don't have anything. They're spiritually unhealthy, no matter how big they are, no matter how they look, no matter whatever else. They're spiritually unhealthy, as the example we just used. One thing's for sure. God will never have to bring us back unless we get out there. So, let me close with this. The key to the lightnings of God in the last days is a people that will move in the Holy Ghost in their own private prayer lives. I had somebody ask me, Pastor Mike, what are you trying to accomplish in the church? What do you want to happen in the church? I think it was a newcomer's thing we had a month or so ago, whenever it was. They said, um, we just started the series, and they said, Pastor Mike, what are you looking for in the church? Because they had the idea, that we'd just gotten started on this thing, and they had the idea that I'm looking for things to just pop all over in the congregation and stuff like that. And I said, well, I'm certainly not looking for us to go back to the old-time charismatic church. We're never going to emphasize the moving of the Holy Ghost above the Word. That's just never going to be the thing. I said, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for people to operate in the Holy Ghost in their own lives. I'd like for them to become proficient in knowing, hearing and knowing the voice of the Holy Spirit in their own lives, whether it's in their private devotions or when it's out, they're out on the street, so that they know of a certainty that when God wants them to do something in church, it becomes an easy thing. It doesn't become one of those things that people start, you know, shaking their heads saying, oh, no, not them. but where the manifestation of the Spirit flow freely. But they're never going to flow freely. (laughs) They're never going to flow freely in the congregation unless they flow freely in our individual lives. And the key to that is speaking. Not just confessing the Word, but speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
The Bible identifies that, so we have to put that as a priority. It's speaking in tongues to the point where psalms and hymns and spiritual songs just begin to flow. Now, folks, if you think I'm saying sit down and write spiritual songs, please don't do that. I've tried that. They're all junk. Now, it can't be just talking to people that are musically creative. Because if that's the case, then they're the only ones that are spirit-filled, and you can listen to Christian radio and figure that's not the case. Well, then what is it? It's where the Holy Ghost uses us because we're cooperating with Him. We're keeping ourselves spiritually charged. We're edifying ourselves consistently so that we hear and know the voice of the Spirit. He begins to show us things in our own private prayer lives and and, and small things so that we learn, oh, that's how the Holy Ghost reveals things to you. So that when we come upon situations that need our help, then we are able to just gently step in and say, can I pray for you? Pray for him. Something happens. Whoa. Then you act like I knew that was going to happen all the time. So that then if anything does happen where God wants to move in our midst, and he will, he knows who he can use. He knows who's familiar with him. He doesn't have to look over the crowd and say, okay, well, who's going to flub this up the, the least? In other words, the Bible is instructing us, I think more in these last days than ever before, in the history of mankind, for us to be people of the Word and of the Spirit. And that's the latter reign. That's how the Holy Ghost can move. That's how the Holy Ghost can manifest. How's He going to do it otherwise? Who's He going to pick to use if it's not you? You know more than 90% of most of the Christians on the face of the earth. I know because I've taught you. And even if you've only been listening half the time, you still know more than 90% of most Christians. Well, then why wouldn't he use you? Well, I don't live a good enough life. Corinth is your, does away with your excuse for that. Why wouldn't he use you? Folks, there's only one reason in my opinion. I've given my opinion three times today, I think. That's a bunch. But you judge this for yourself. In my opinion, the only reason God wouldn't use us is if we're not prepared to be used. Otherwise, he said he would. Amen? Amen. Oh, folks, I keep going back to that Wigglesworth prophecy. We've already had the charismatic revival. We've already had the revival of the teaching of the word. But after that will come a revival that will combine the moving of the Spirit of God with a hunger for the teaching of the Word. And that's the one who will bring Jesus back. That's the one I want us to move in. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we do have the power of the Holy Ghost within us. We are born of the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit. And therefore, we have the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Thank you that we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Father. I tell you what, make this confession after me. Say this. Heavenly Father, according to the word of God, I declare that the greater one lives in me. Therefore, I have all power to meet every situation that I encounter. When I lay hands on the sick, they get well. When I pray for those that are oppressed, 
they are set free. The power of God rests upon me and dwells in me. I always have sufficient power for every situation because the greater one lives in me. Amen. And when we get to where we start believing that, that's when things will change in our lives. So let me challenge you this week to spend this week speaking to yourself, both in tongues, to the point where psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs start to come. Amen. Amen. You may have to keep that battery hooked up on those cables for a while. It's not an instant recharge, but it'll come. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.